Our fourth lectionary passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, and we will be in chapter 1, looking at verses 21 through 28 together. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. All the people were amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, as I thought about this passage and reflected on its meaning for us today, one of the things that came to my mind that relates to, I think, the larger message here is a show that I used to watch when I was younger, a show that was a favorite of mine that some of you may have seen, and it was Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Now, if you've never seen Extreme Makeover Home Edition, it's been off the air for a little while. It's kind of like all the other shows that are on TV right now. But essentially, the show would take a family or someone else who had been deemed worthy of a house remodel or a house rebuild because of a hardship that they had faced or because of something good that they had done. There were all kinds of people, people who helped children in their community, veterans, others who had cared for their family in big ways. There were all kinds of differences of families that were chosen. But what they would do is they would choose this family and they would send them on a vacation, a long vacation, and this crew would come in and they would tear down the old house that needed to go or they would renovate the house that was there. And then at the end of the show, the host, Ty Pennington, would invite the family back and they would pull up to the house in a car with the blacked out windows so that they couldn't see what had changed with all of their neighbors that had helped to be a part of this rebuild. And they would pull up behind the extreme makeover bus and they would get out And Ty would talk to them, how was your vacation, what do you think the house is going to look like, all these, you know, normal TV filler type things. But then he would get to a point where he would say to them, are you ready to see your new house? And of course the family would say yes, and so they would say, bus driver, move that bus, and slowly the bus would pull out of the way. And one of my favorite things to do would be to see the family's reactions to what they had seen, to see mixes of crying and laughing and some people just standing there not even able to speak, other people sometimes collapsing on the ground because they just couldn't stand up because of what they had seen, what had changed for them. And episode after episode, as families walked through the house, they would say things like how amazed they were at how different it was. How amazed they were at how their lives were going to be different because of what had changed. How it had restored in them a sense of hope or a sense of pride. A sense of something that they had lost at some point because the difficulties of life had pushed down on them. Well, as we look at Mark chapter 1, 21 through 28 today, in this story of what happens in the synagogue in Capernaum, I think that we see a very similar thing happening for us and for our world, though on a much larger scale. 
as Jesus and his disciples enter Capernaum in that synagogue on the Sabbath Saturday that they go, the people don't yet have an idea of who Jesus is or what Jesus is capable of. In the Gospel of Mark, he's performed no miracles to this point. Literally, the only things that he has done is be born, be baptized, be tempted in the desert, which in Mark is just two verses, and then he goes and calls his first disciples. So literally in the Gospel of Mark, the first time that he is in front of anyone is in this Capernaum synagogue on this Sabbath day. And you can almost, as you read this, imagine the scene. The people, they've gathered for Sabbath worship, just like we have today. They head down to what at their time would have been the center of their community, their faith place, the place where they went to study the Torah, the place that they went to be with those that they love, the place that they went to see their families, the center of their faith and their lives. And they go there to worship and to open Scripture as it existed for them, to listen, to sing, to glorify God in different ways, and to learn. And as this new rabbi, Jesus, begins to teach about new ways to understand Scripture and God, the people would have sat and they would have listened. But they wouldn't have been very surprised at Jesus and what He was doing there. Because you see, in their culture, it was very common for rabbis to just show up in synagogues and begin to teach. To say, you've heard that it was said, you should do this this way. Or you've heard that Scripture said that you should do this this way. Or you've heard that God is, but maybe here's another way of seeing God. Rabbis were famous for this. This is what they did. The reason that they had disciples following them is because people would hear what they had to teach and they would say, this rabbi is different than this rabbi. And I think this rabbi is the one that I want to follow. It's not that they changed the Old Testament Scripture. It's just that they came in and said, here is a new way of understanding and viewing this. And so that day in the Capernaum Synagogue, when Jesus does just that, the people would not have been surprised that Jesus was teaching them, that He was teaching them new things. But in Mark chapter 1, we're told that they are amazed at what He is teaching. They say that this rabbi is teaching in such a way that it seems like He actually has authority. That he can back up what he's saying, unlike the religious leaders or the scribes of the synagogue of their day, whose job it was to just say, you know what, here's what the Torah says. Here's what you're supposed to do. It's right here. Just follow this. But Jesus comes in and he doesn't just do that. He teaches and he tells them about God in ways that they had never heard it before. And they are amazed as they sit there in the synagogue on that Sabbath day. And it's in this moment that a dramatic scene begins to unfold as a man enters that is believed to be possessed by an unclean spirit or a demon in some of your translations. He begins to speak in the quiet moments of worship, likely in a loud voice to a rabbi who has amazed these people already. And now as the people are watching this, they get to see, is this new rabbi who teaches with authority Does he have any power to do anything else? Is that authority that we think we're hearing, can he actually do something with that? And as the people sit there and listen, they hear this man exclaim to Jesus directly, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. These people may not have any idea who you are, but I know who you are. And what are you going to do with me? 
Now you can see the people's heads almost getting whiplash as they look back towards Jesus and look back at the man trying to figure out what is this rabbi going to do. Now they're not very likely surprised by the demon-possessed man. That was a fairly common way of describing lots of things in their society, whether it was demon possession or not, to just say this must be demon possession, demonic possession. They wouldn't have been surprised that there was a man in their midst that was like that. But what they really want to see is, does this rabbi who preaches and teaches with authority, does he have any control here? What is he going to do? In other words, at the very beginning of Jesus' life and ministry, he is being put to the test right before the people. As they watch him, he looks at the man. He doesn't converse with the man. He doesn't say anything to the man. He doesn't respond to what are you going to do with us. He just makes a, a command for the unclean spirit to come out. He just says, be quiet and come out of this man. And the spirit does. And you can imagine the people there at the synagogue already amazed at what Jesus is teaching, just sitting in stunned silence. Maybe the only sounds in their synagogue that day being the cries of a grateful man who had been freed from something that he could not shake himself, something that was a difficult struggle for him. You can imagine the people, eyes wide, turning toward one another and saying to each other, What is this? Who is this guy? Not only does he teach about the Torah, about Scripture with authority, he also commands unclean spirits to come out of people and they are healed and they are restored. Who is this? You can imagine the people tripping over themselves as they run out the doors of their synagogue to tell their family, to tell their friends about Jesus, about this new rabbi who is doing amazing things, the likes of which they in Capernaum had never seen before. Today, as we think about this, we are given that same opportunity to experience that Jesus. We read His words in Scripture and we stand amazed at what He's taught. We look back through history, through our own history, through our lives, but also through Christian history. We see the powerful ways that His call to make disciples of all people, to love one's neighbor, to believe that there's always something bigger than ourselves, have changed the world in which we live just by existing as teachings themselves. Many of us who have decided to follow Jesus have had an experience with Jesus that has left us amazed. We've had an experience where we've heard Jesus' call to follow me. As we've done it, we've seen Jesus begin to change our lives, begin to change the world around us in powerful ways. And maybe we've not seen something as big as what happens in Mark chapter 1. Maybe we've not seen an exorcism or some other thing. But in the small ways in which Jesus has worked and Jesus has lived through us, we have been amazed by the ways that Jesus continues to move, to show us goodness, to show us light, to change the world in which we live. As we think about that, I also wonder, what about those people around us? Those who've not yet experienced the fullness of Christ. How are they experiencing the fullness of who Jesus is? How are they experiencing the fullness of what Christ is doing in the world around them? On that Sabbath day in the synagogue, the people had Jesus teaching them. 
His presence was directly in front of Him. They saw His message through human lips, through looking at a human face, a person who is sitting in a chair or sitting on the stairs or sitting on the ground, somebody who is there in the synagogue with them. They saw Jesus directly. But today, Jesus' message and power are seen more indirectly through us through who we are, through the ways that we live out our faith in our day-to-day lives. As we reflect on what that means for us, as we reflect on what that means for our world, I think we look at Mark chapter 1 and we begin to see a few things. The first of which is we begin to see that the gospel of Jesus provides restoration for us and through us. In our passage, we find a man who enters a synagogue and he is conflicted. As the people see him, they immediately think, we know what's wrong with him. He's possessed. Like I said, something that they've likely heard of or maybe even seen before. They expect this on some level. But what happens right after the man comes in is something that they could have never expected. Because you see, as you may have heard at some point before, and I've even said it up here before, in their culture, a person who is believed to be possessed like this was considered unclean, which meant they couldn't be around anybody else. Because even if this person ran into you or if they touched you, they made you unclean. All of a sudden, you couldn't go visit your family. All of a sudden, you couldn't go to church. All of a sudden, you couldn't be around anyone. You had to yell unclean in the streets. Because they were considered unclean, they were not allowed to be a part of society. They were not even allowed to be a part of the people of God. In their culture, people thought that God must have punished them in some way. And so if God has punished them, why would you want them around you? Why would you want them in your worship spaces? And so when this man walks into the synagogue on that Sabbath Saturday, there's a strong likelihood that a few things begin to happen. One, the people who have joined there for worship, maybe just like we have, who just came in to worship and to do the normal things that they do every Sabbath, begin to move away from him. Because they don't want to be touched by this guy. They don't want to be associated with this guy. They don't want God looking at them differently or looking down on them for any reason. So they move away from him. But at the same time, the scribes, the religious leaders, likely began to move toward him. As they didn't want to get near him or touch him, but they wanted him out of their space. They wanted him to leave so that they could get back to the things that they were doing. Out of the corner of this man's eye, he would have likely seen the fullness of what it means to have no community, to have no place to belong, to have no family that welcomes you. And so he turns to this rabbi. He turns to this Jesus. He, he knows as he does, he doesn't belong here. That The people don't want him here. But he wants to know, how is Jesus going to respond differently? As people are moving to the walls and as religious leaders are moving in to push him towards the door, he looks at Jesus and says, what will you do with me, Holy One of God? What will you do with who I am? What will you do with the ways that I've been kicked out? Will you tell me to leave as well? Or will you do something else? And So as Jesus speaks, as He opens His mouth, the man receives more freedom than he could have ever imagined. He receives more than just the demon leaving his body. 
he receives restoration to the community again. In this moment, as many of us have experienced in our lives, this man is invited back into communion, not just with the people, but also with God. In this moment, Jesus shows that he's not just a man of words, powerful words. He is also a man of action that backs them up. He shows that his is a presence where even the most afflicted in our world have a place. That his is a place where they can find restoration, where they can find hope, where they can find the things that maybe have been stripped away from them. And they can be given those things back. So friends, this morning as we reflect on this, I I wonder, as we look in our own selves, what afflicts us? What kinds of things have been demonizing us in our lives? What kinds of fears? What kinds of anxieties? What kinds of misplaced trust? What kinds of temptations are we not able to shake in our day-to-day lives? What kinds of things are keeping us from fully feeling like we are a part of our family, of our friendships, of our church? even a part of our individual faith as we seek to relate to God. At different times in our lives, each of us carries something that holds us back from realizing the full potential, from going fully into the presence of God. Even the Apostle Paul, writing in his letters, writes about a thorn in his side that he carried with him, that held him back, that made him feel like he couldn't fully be in tune with God. All of us have things like that. Things that make us feel that maybe we don't belong. And even if those things don't lead to a public excommunication, a a public kicking out of us from spaces in our lives, in our minds they often do. Because we walk into spaces with people that we love and people that we're with and we say, if they only knew, I wouldn't belong here. Or we say, we really can't plug in in the way that we want because we don't feel adequate enough. We don't feel like we have enough to give because each of us in some way may be demonized by something that we are hard-pressed to shake. And even our belief in Christ sometimes makes it hard for us to let go of those things. But in those things, Jesus constantly calls us to see that we're not defined by them. That Jesus doesn't look at us and see those things. As we focus on these things that may make us feel less or make us feel like God is pushing us away from Him and from His community, Jesus calls us to embrace the goodness of God. To embrace the message of Jesus that in that Capernaum synagogue on that Sabbath Saturday was the result of a man looking at another person and saying to him, not just get out of him unclean spirit, but be restored. Find hope. Find peace. But more than that, find your calling to be in community, to make a difference, and to know that you are loved and valued no matter what. Because you see, Jesus loves us not because we often mess up, not because we miss the mark, and He doesn't love us less because of those things. He loves us in spite of those and says to us, just lean into who I am. Lean into what I've called you to be. Lean into the fact that I love you no matter what. Lean into the fact that you are restored to purpose no matter what you may feel is holding you back. As 4th century African Archbishop and Saint Augustine once wrote, Cast yourself upon Jesus. Do not be afraid. He will not withdraw himself so that you fall. Make the leap into Christ without anxiety. 
Because time and time again, He will catch you and He will heal you. But as we make that leap, while the passage in Mark 1 teaches us that Christ sees us and provides restoration for us no matter what we carry, this passage also challenges us to something different. To think deeply about how we, like Jesus, are providing restoration for our world and for those around us as well. The passage challenges us as we read it. What are we focused on, not only here in Mark 1, but also as we look out into our world? Because I think our natural inclination when we read these passages is not to focus on the man. It's to focus on the demon. To focus on Jesus' power over the demon. To focus on the fact that the man was demon-possessed and that he wasn't. We don't focus on the man underneath. But in Mark chapter 1, when the man speaks to Jesus and says, What will you do with me? Instead of talking to the demon and having a long conversation, Jesus looks underneath and sees the man. We often focus on the problems on the surface of people. We often focus only only on what we can see. We often focus only on what we perceive to be about people. But Jesus constantly looks deeper and sees the need that's underneath. Some of you have experienced that in your work and in your jobs, in your schools, as you've gotten to know people better. You've seen that, you know, what I thought about that person or what I thought was the reality of who they were, there's something deeper there. There's a bigger need that they have. There are ways that I can speak into their lives, but we don't know that until we look deeper. Jesus always looked deeper. And as His disciples, we are called to follow His example. And in this, there is no difference. Because Jesus calls us to look deeply into our world, to look at the people and the places that are around us, and to ask the question, how are we caring for? How are we loving? How are we showing grace to those around us, no matter who they are? And this Jesus provides restoration for this man back to a community that He was made for. And in so, He challenges us to say, how are we actively building relationships that not only recognize that even in our shortcomings, Jesus still loves us and gives us purpose, but also, as we encounter others, that Jesus restores them to something else as well. Because, friends, the Gospel of Jesus always provides restoration. Not just for us, but also for those that we encounter But as we wonder, as we ask, how are we doing this? How are we providing restoration? Mark chapter 1 also teaches us, also shows us that in asking that, we should also see that the gospel of Jesus provides amazement in our lives and in our world as well. When the people sit down to listen to Jesus that day in Capernaum, they do so thinking that they were about to just listen to another rabbi telling them about the law. But even before he's shown them that he can do anything at all, they're already amazed at what he's saying because of the ways that he makes the Scripture, that he makes God come alive in that synagogue, in those moments. I like to think that their response of Mark 1 shows that not only did Jesus make Scripture come alive, he made them come alive too. And the reality of it is is that even today, Jesus' teachings should hold their own. They should astound people just for who they are. The call to love your neighbor no matter what. 
The call to communion, to community across all difference. The ringing notice that there is always more than everything that we expect things to be. When we think we've hit a wall, that Jesus says there's still more on the other side of that wall. Keep moving forward. These teachings of Jesus, without anything else that He has done, should hold up their own weight. They should amaze people. They should astound people. They should excite people just for what they are, just for the words that He has said. Our world should change. But we live in a world that hardly ever takes words at face value. We live in a world that questions everything. Like the people that day, people who hear about Jesus, we hear about Jesus and we still ask, what in the world is this? Why does any of this matter? And I wonder what answer we're giving to them. What are people seeing when they look at us as Christians? What are they seeing when they look at our church? Are they amazed at what they see? Or are they astonished at how we live, how we love, how we care? Are they those things or are they still looking at us and seeing the Jesus that they've always perceived Him to be? A Jesus that doesn't speak newness. A Jesus that doesn't amaze. A Jesus that doesn't have anything to say in our world. What about all of you? What are you seeing and feeling yourself? How are you experiencing who Christ is? Are you astonished at His teachings? Are you astonished at the things that Christ is doing? Are you amazed at the ways that Christ is still working in our world, in your life, in the places and people around you? It's hard to be amazed, right? Especially in our day-to-day. It's hard to be amazed in our world sometimes. But Jesus' calling is to listen for His voice, to read Scripture, to pray, to look around us and to see that He is still at work. And the ways that He's working still provide amazement for us and for the people that are around us. But the reality of it is, is we often get tripped up on looking for the big things. On looking for Jesus to exercise demons around us. And looking for Jesus to save us. And looking for Jesus to change a situation. And often the reality of it is, is we miss Jesus because Jesus is working in the small things. In the small ways in the people that we just encounter when we least expect Jesus to be there, in the places where we walk into classrooms and we study and we see our friends, in the places where we walk into our workspaces and we sit down with the people that we sit around all of the time, in those little places, in those little mundane areas, Jesus is working. Jesus is moving. And Jesus is calling us to see that we also live out His message in the little things that we do. As Mother Teresa once said, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small great things with great love. Friends, today we are being called to follow Jesus. Not just in big ways, not just in telling people about who Jesus is, but also in ways that whether the people that we are around on a day-to-day basis, the people that we encounter even know that we are a Christian or not, They still look at us and they are still amazed that there's something different about the way that we live. There's something different about how we carry our pain. There's something different about the way that we handle difficulty. There's something different about the way that we find hope in this world no matter what we may face. There's something different about us. There's something different about the way that we look into the eyes of people like Jesus did in that Capernaum synagogue and see something deeper. 
There's something different about the ways that we this week will look into the mirror, into our own eyes, and say that there's something deeper there too. Jesus is always calling us to something deeper. And when we step through that door into following Him, He's calling us to see that there's always restoration. And there's always reason to be amazed. And so as we prepare to go from this place today, we come to our challenge for the week. And it is this. Each day, ask yourself, did I provide some sense of restoration and amazement as I lived out my faith today? Did people see Jesus through me in ways that might have made them want to know more? Again, did I provide some sense of restoration and amazement as I lived out my faith today? Did people see Jesus through me in ways that might have made them want to know more? If you're taking notes, you don't have to write it down. Just like the professor, I'll post this later on Instagram and in the email. But as you move through this week, ask yourself this question. Ask yourself, if there are people around me, my friends at school, the people that I see at daycare, the people that I see at work, are there people around me who, even if they don't know I'm a Christian, still feel that there's something different about how I live and how I work in the world? Are they seeing Jesus through us? And knowing that that's what we're called to do, that this is our challenge, the task before us is great. But friends, we are equipped We are called. We are needed. Even when we feel like we're not enough. Even when we feel like the things that hold us back are are, are going to hold us back from being the presence of Christ or experiencing the fullness of Christ. Even those things, Jesus says to us, don't hold us back. Jesus calls us to keep moving. Keep feeling restored as much as we help others be restored. To see that we and they and our world are made whole through the amazement of the gospel message of Jesus. That all have a place. That all are loved. And that all have purpose. And so as we move from this place today, may we live into this challenge. May we be the presence of Christ. Not just in the lives of those around us, but to that person in the mirror that we see every morning and every night too. May you see that Jesus sees purpose and value in you. May you experience that in ways that we carry that out into the world.